And welcome to Bronze and Modern Gods. I am John, and as always, there's my buddy Richard. What's going on, Richard? Nothing, nothing much. Quiet evening. How are you doing? <laughs> Quiet. We're going to make some noise. Yeah. Let's start off with our nerd shirts. What do you have this week? Uh, well, today I've got a Tyler Kirkham shirt I bought from an online website. It's pretty cool. It's got Tyler's oops, on the wrong, wrong shoulder. <laughs> oh, it's got Tyler's mark on here. Uh, it's a nice shirt. It's got it from Street Level Heroes, one of that the cool. online vendors. Yeah. Well, I am repping my man Herc with uh, my Ed McGinnis Hercules shirt. Nice. Homemade on a t-shirt press that was actually being used to make t-shirts, not for pressing comics. What? <laughs> they make those? It's crazy, right? <laughs> hey, if you are just now joining us, it's your first time, why don't you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bronze and Modern Gods? We would love you for it. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, make sure you subscribe and you leave us a rate and review. That would be cool as well. And we are not wasting any time this week. Our main topic this week is opening a comic book store, dream or nightmare. You're going to hear stories <laughs> from both sides of the fence. We've got our underrated books of the week. But before we get started, I think you have a book, which is kind of one of your personal grails that you've been searching for for a long time, and you got yeah. it this week. Yes, I did. It is Young Allies number six. This is the one in 15 variant by Art Adams, is the cover artist. Beautiful book. I have been looking forever for this book. Finally tracked it down on uh, the UK eBay and uh, talked to the person who was selling it, a gentleman named Azar. Really nice guy. I got the book from him. He shipped it very carefully packaged, sent me a lovely note to go along saying uh, uh, he hopes it brings me happiness. I really appreciate it. Definitely, this is one of my grails. I've been looking for this forever. And of course, there is the rule of... Uh, Whenever you find something you've been looking for forever, you'll find additional copies like the next day. And I did. I found another two copies, but I, I bought another one. But yeah, Azar, thank you so much. I appreciate it. This definitely is in my PC for life. Why was it so hard to find for so long? Why do you think? Underordered? So there are not, not many 1 in 15s out there? Seriously. It ended up being the last issue of, of Young Allies. Only 14,000 were ordered of the last regular copy. Of those... There was doubtful many people ordered more than 15 copies of the book, and therefore the number of 1 in 15s is probably very, very low. And because of that, it just rarely pops up on eBay. I mean, I've seen three copies this past year and lost out on all the other ones. So when this one came up and I saw it, I immediately bought it. It's a beautiful cover. I mean, Art Adams, you know how I feel about art. He's one of my favorites. Uh, is it going off to Sarasota for a little slabby? Oh, hell yeah. Both, both of the ones that I'm getting are going off. Uh, I've got a whole shipment of stuff I need to go. Uh, I need to press them. They're modern books. I need to press them, so I need to get the, the cojones to do that. This one is in great shape. It's it's 9.6, most likely, maybe 9.8. You never know, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I have high hopes for it. And when it comes back, like I said, it's going in the PC. This is a book that I've been looking for forever, and I am not doing this again. So <laughs> it's going to stay in the PC. So we're going to see it on the wall behind you fairly yeah. soon, hopefully. That's great. Yeah, awesome. Well, speaking of slabs and books and 9.6s and 9.8s that are on fire, that's a great segue for our hot book of the week. And why don't you tell the folks what it is? Uh, the hot book this week is She-Hulk number one. If you had told me <laughs> two years ago that she hulk number one would be a 700 dollars 9.8 book 
I Dude, would have laughed in your face. It was a quarter box book for decades. <laughs> oh, I know. It was. It's crazy. Uh, She-Hulk, it's first appearance of She-Hulk, uh, the cousin of Bruce Banner. Uh, it was written by Stan Lee and John Buscema did the art on it. It's a popular book in that it's always been in circulation. Uh, and when I started collecting again, it was a goodly price. And 9.8 was probably around $200. And mm -hmm. I actually bought one at that price, and I had it in the PC for a long time. But then we had the announcement of, you know, Disney Plus came out, and there's announcement of a new show starring She-Hulk. And that really just made her first appearance double in value overnight. So Crazy. the book that was 200 now was going for $400. Uh, this was just a few months ago. Uh, and, and now this month, we have news that Tatiana met... <laughs> Maza sure. Mazeline. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mazeline. She's Black. <laughs> yeah, she's from Orphan Black. Uh, she is cast in the role of, of She-Hulk, and they're going to start shooting in February of 2021. That just seems to be the, the, the fire to the powder keg. Uh, there are sales on eBay for over $700. Um, we're having lags in GPA. Another conversation I want to have, I talked to you about this earlier, yeah. Uh, G GPA, the relevancy of GPA's value is decreasing as more people buy through alternative sources that GPA does not track, like Instagram or Facebook. Or YouTube uh, live sales. Or, or YouTube live sales. So um, the GPA average is 535, the 90-day average for this book. Uh, but there are confirmed sales, and the going price on eBay is around $700. That's so. Crazy. It is crazy. I it's I, I don't know where this is gonna this is gonna cap. I don't know if I would recommend buying one right now because in my mind, seven hundred dollars is a astronomical price for for this book. And at some point it's gonna cool off and you can buy one on that at the end of the cycle. You know, the show will come out. Uh it will be popular or not popular, but after the show comes out and that pressure has been relieved about uh it's it's airing you'll probably see the price drop. And if you're interested in it, I'd buy it then, not now before the hype, why the hype is still building. The closest parallel I can think of is Carol Danvers, uh, Ms. Marvel number one. When the Captain Marvel movie was announced, we saw this book shoot up to heights it had never seen. Again, another quarter box fodder book for, for years. And then the movie came out and it did well. And people were not that excited, though, that Miss Marvel saw a big dip. I think fans really like She-Hulk as a character. So I think this book might have a little more staying power than Ms. Marvel number one did. I hope so. You know, there's there's two different ways they could play this. They could play it like they did in Savage, which is a little more serious. Please or no. they could, uh, Yeah. <laughs> or they could do John Byrne's uh, Sensational She-Hulk, which is my favorite. I love Sensational She-Hulk. And John Byrne's, uh, the way that he had... Uh, you know, the way that She-Hulk was breaking the fourth wall and addressing the audience. I thought that was awesome. There's so. a middle ground there. Uh, Dan Slott and Peter David's run in the 2000s. It was a lighthearted She-Hulk with some serious things happening. She didn't break the fourth wall, but it wasn't as deadly serious as the Savage She-Hulk. I remember when this book came out, okay? I bought it at my local grocery store. <laughs> it was a big deal because Stan Lee was coming back to write this. So everyone was like, whoa, Stan's back. And, and I read it and I'm like, oh, she gets a transfusion from Bruce. That's it. You know, even as a 10-year-old, as a I was like, great. <laughs> um, you still got it. Uh, so 
it, it's interesting to see this book just take these this roller coaster ride and we'll just keep an eye on it i guess yeah, I'm curious to see where, what happens after this the the actual show airs. It depends. I mean, the value of Star Wars books based on the Mandalorian characters have skyrocketed because that series is so good. I could see uh, if the She-Hulk series was as popular because it was done well, these books continue to go up. Hey, if it's going to be anything like the WandaVision trailer, people are going to get hyped because that WandaVision trailer is crazy. I'm looking forward to that. And hopefully all these Disney Plus shows will be the same quality. Yeah, I finally justify my subscription to Disney Plus. <laughs> so She-Hulk number one in the mid-90s was selling maybe $2, $3 if somebody was actually looking for it. The the ongoing series was still happening. Still not a lot of interest in that earlier series from fans. And I know this because I owned a comic book store at that time. And that's our main topic for today, owning a comic book store. What's involved? What do you have to go through? Is it all it's cracked up to be or is it a total nightmare? I'm here to tell you it's all those things and more. <laughs> So a little background, I was managing comic shops uh, since I graduated high school. Lots of, uh, it was my full-time job when I got out of high school. It, then I went into the army and I was doing it part-time while I was in the army for a local comic shop in Monterey, California. Big ups to Adventure Comics and Cards. <laughs> and then when I got out, I was going to school full-time and I was working in morning radio full-time. And if that wasn't enough on my plate, I decided I was going to start doing comic book shows. So on the weekends, I was doing conventions and I was seeing sales like crazy sales on the weekends. I was pocketing a lot of money from doing those sales. So I got it in my head that I'm going to open up a comic book store in my little hometown of Elyria, Ohio in downtown got a couple of my friends to help me get started. One of my friends had a property that he was willing to give me a deal on the lease for, and I opened up a shop. What a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I had no business running a business. I was a good manager. I was a good person with the customers. I knew my product. I knew comics. I knew how to relate to fans and sell them things. I didn't know that when you had sales tax, you were supposed to save the sales tax and then pay it every quarter. What? I didn't know about getting the proper licenses from downtown for the business license. I mean, I learned stuff the hard way. Uh, there was the thrill of of selling a Fantastic Four uh, number forty eight for three hundred dollars at the time. I was like, "Yeah, I got three hundred bucks for this." Uh, then there's the heartbreak of ordering too many of the latest Image comic and having it sit on the shelves forever, and having to worry about making my next Capital City distribution payment. It is tough. So we are going to talk a little bit about my experience with someone that worked with me there. So now we get to the part where uh, the store's opening, we're really excited, and I got to hire my first employee. And it was someone that has a lot of uh, memories, much better recall than I do, because he remembers a lot of stuff that I just have completely <laughs> forgotten. So let's welcome into the show. This is uh, Tim Kosas. Hi, Tim. Hi, gang. What's up, Hi, Tim. Good to see you, John. Hey, first of all, how did we meet? Ah, you were friends with my brother when I was in elementary school and you went to the circus with my family. That's how we first met. 
That's crazy. I have and zero recall of that. You showed me a Captain America comic book when I was a little kid. Oh, wow. And that's what started yeah. your, your love of the comics? Well, yeah, kind of. So how does your wife feel about me then? <laughs> oh, she, she doesn't care. She just she keeps me out of her hair. Awesome. <laughs> just get all the omnibuses and stuff. So fl flash forward years later, I get out of the army. I'm back in I'm back in our hometown, and yeah. I'm opening up a I'm opening up a comic book store. But you and I are actually going to the local community college together, taking television courses, right? Right, we're doing um, ENGs together. ENGs. Tell people what that is. Electronic news gathering. <laughs> so you are gathering news electronically. Ooh. Wow. So we did, uh, also, we interned at Channel Forty Three together. Remember that? I remember interning at Channel 43. This is, you know, way off yeah. the beaten path of the story. Yeah. I remember going the first three weeks and saying, this is really boring. Then I quit. Yeah, just stop showing up. <laughs> I was like, I'm out of here. Yeah. I thought I was going to, I was so ahead of myself. I was like, I thought I was going to be on TV and I was going to be doing the prize movie. But no, I'm fetching coffee. Hell no. Yeah. I'll <laughs> <laughs> so Richard was one of our first customers, if I remember correctly. Richard, it, it, what do you remember about my shop, first of all? Yeah, I, I remember, first of all, it was huge, at least for comic book stores. It was huge because of the way space. Way too large. We had to curtain off the back because it was way too big of a space. I remember uh, you were editing. I remember distinctly you editing a comic book. You were sitting there and you were, you know, blue lining a comic. And uh, I think it was our comics. If there I was a local uh, company, a comic book uh, publisher yeah. that launched a comic book, and we knew all the people that were writing and drawing it, and they eventually asked me to edit it. I think they regretted that because they did not like the amount of blue pencil <laughs> they ended up seeing. <laughs> and we had a signing in our shop that was huge. That first oh, weekend. Yeah, the first week. Yeah. yeah, and I also remember you selling this newfangled card game called Magic the Gathering. And you had booster packs and, and decks of the unlimited set because this is right after beta ended. And uh, you were like, magic cards, what the hell am I going to do with these things? And so you had a stack of them. And I, and I still, to this day, wish I bought one of those. I uh, wish I packs. kept a couple. I was selling, <laughs> selling packs out there. Yeah, it's, it's funny, you know, it, just as a testimony to uh, my life, that's a perfect story that encapsulates me. I have a huge vision. And then I have trouble following through on it. So, yeah, sorry, man. Now, Tim, our our opening weekend was a gala event. Uh, it was the biggest thing to hit Illyria. <laughs> so, tell everyone what we had for our opening weekend. Well, we wore suits. <laughs> we, but, I mean, uh, we looked, looked sharp. And the mayor came and cut the red ribbon. The Ninja Turtle was there. And, and we had a, media. I made sure the, the media was there. The cake was there, too. I, we had a cake. Uh, yeah, the media was there, except for Channel 43 for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they didn't show up, but okay. Now, here's the bad stuff. You see, now, Tim, you say you remember all the good stuff. Right. I remember nothing but the bad stuff. Here's what I remember. Theft. We had such a problem with theft in that store. Kids shoplifting. I had a cordless phone, which was like, ooh, new tech at that time. And someone shoplifted the receiver when I left it out. Jeez. <laughs> wow. Yeah. We had a competitor down the street that Keith. was yeah. Yeah. That was just not a friendly competitor at the time. They did everything they could to really just kind of cripple yeah. our 
business. What he, sent you them all, he sent them all to open files, and then they never collected the files. Uh, I remember. He wow, them, really? He sent them yeah. over to Choplift from us. Uh, it was rough. And, you know, I took the high road. Looking <clears> back, I kind of wish yeah. I didn't. Uh, but what are you going to do? I Now, the way it all came about was I just – was working shows with Tim. I was doing yeah. holiday in shows, VFW shows. Yeah. And Tim and I are like, you know, filling up this, my little toolbox filled with cash. And I was yeah. like, you know, something some good be- books. He had a lot of good books, burn X men and stuff. Yeah. So let me get straight. You were doing shows. So you would bring long boxes full of comic books and you would sell them at like the VFW hall and places like that. And then there was a, there was a brisk enough business at that point for you to, to, to actually make a profit doing that. We, we grew it pretty quickly because it went from little local shows in our hometown at the Holiday Inn and the VFW to us going to like the big, big time for us, Cleveland shows. We started doing the Cleveland shows. And one thing I, I distinctly remember was when I was helping uh, manage a comic shop in the Army on my free time in Monterey, California, the owner of the shop was a huge, huge early believer in Valiant. So not a lot of stores and retailers were big on Valiant when they first launched, but he ordered tons of those first five or six issues, Harbinger, Magnus, uh, Solar, like the, the real low print run ones. And he had like literal long boxes of these. So when I got out of the army, I bought a bunch of his inventory of the Valiants before they got hot and I brought them back to Cleveland. And I set up at a show in Cleveland with those Valiants, and I had dealers running over to my table before the show <laughs> opened, offering triple price sticker of what I was asking for those Ooh, for Ligi. And I remember this as well. I, okay, now it's all coming back. I traded a bunch of early Valiants for an Avengers 4 to a dealer. because yeah, like, you, I, you remember that, right? I remember that book, yeah. Wow. I can't. His, his theory, and he's probably right. I can't move this Avengers four quick, yeah. but I can move all these Valiants. That's crazy. Active. That's crazy. Wow. So Valiant was that hot at the time? It was insanely hot, and this was right when you, Unity hit the the big cross crossover from Valiant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one thing I do remember. Uh, Tim, I think you probably remember this new comic book day the night before going to yeah, Cap- it was so much fun. Go out to Berea and go to the big warehouse and all the uh, tables full of the new. It was good for me because I got to see the what books were coming out the next day. So I was like, "Ooh!" Wait, and so we, you you picked the books up directly from the distributor? There, it wasn't Diamond that was shipping you the. Back then, Capital City Distribution was the big Midwest distributor. Diamond didn't have a local warehouse, and it was actually in Middleburg Heights. Oh, uh, that yeah, we would go to Middleburg Heights. They would either ship it to the store. But Tim and I were such nerds, we could not wait. We wanted to get the book. <laughs> yeah, I, I looked That's forward to going. I really me did. Too. That was like the highlight of the week, wasn't it? Tuesday yeah. night, going yeah. to uh, Capital City and getting the comics and bringing them back to the oh. store. And like, oh, did you see what happened in Quasar? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me ask you this. When, when you were getting the comics, were you cherry picking the best ones or just grabbing 20 off the top and so, just taking those? Great question. Also a great way to tell people about opening a store. You're ordering your comic books three months ahead of time. And it's based nothing on it's based on nothing but cover art and maybe a one to two sentence solicitation copy. It could be something like, you know, Venom 25. 
virus appears and it, 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 Eddie Eddie's life will never be the same. And you're like, okay, I'm selling about 30 copies of Venom. Maybe this will be good. I'll make it 35 copies. You're spitting in the wind. We had no computer. We had no computer inventory then. It was me and my memory and probably Tim writing it down in a notebook what actually yeah. sold, right? Right. People would say, oh, I like Alpha Flight. You don't really have too many of those. Oh, we need more Alpha Flight. We would look at the pool, the, the pool, customer pool list and say, okay, four people have Alpha Flight uh, yeah. on the pool list, so we need to order at least four. How many do we want for the shelves? Here is the big mistake I made. I ordered way too many shelf copies. <laughs> to this day, when I see the cover of Tribe Number One, I get sick to my stomach. <laughs> I take it you ordered a lot of Tribe Number Ones. Tim, do you remember how many Tribe Number Ones were on that shelf? Yeah, I do. Image was hot. It was yeah, it was, every know, number one. So gives it you know, damn, you know, it's gonna be. You figure it's gonna be a win-win. It was like printing money for some time. But here's the thing: I got into it with Tim right at the beginning of the end. Yeah. We had just missed that big tidal wave of huge sales, and now the market was crashing so hard. And uh, Tim, I don't even remember how it ended. What? When? When did you quit working? Did you quit? Did do it? Did well, I, I, I felt. I felt. I know business was declining, so. I felt bad, so I would just instead of taking a paycheck, I would trade you for books, which I got twenty one twelve signed by John Byrne from you. Oh wow! <laughs> that was one of the books I got. Still have it. I think. Um, <laughs> I just had to make money. I had to get a. I went worked as a dishwasher in a nursing home. I had to do something. To make money. Hey, you know, money is money, and if I'm not able to pay you, you got to take care of yourself. Good. Uh, I'm glad I didn't have to lay you off then. <laughs> Tim, why don't you show him your shirt for anybody who's has knows anything about Ohio? Big, big Chuck, Chuck and Little John. <laughs> my, my friend, my friends, Big Chuck and Little John. Anyone from Northeast Ohio knows who Big Chuck and Little John are. They were kind of our local uh, midnight movie hosts for decades. Uh, form yeah, formative uh, comedy for me. Really shaped my worldview. That's why I'm so messed up. Me too. Uh, <laughs> me too. The good so, news Tim, is you're still collecting, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. I've been collecting since 1983. So what do you like? What are your favorites? Well, I, I, I like the 60s, 70s, and love 80s Marvel heroes. But I I usually just get the omnibuses, masterworks, and epic collections. I have all the uh, right. omnibuses. My favorite one is The Invisibles by Grant Morrison. Oh, that was a great book. Uh, we'll have to hit that one sometime on the podcast. All right. I have to ask, and you have to tell the truth, Tim. How was I as a boss? Great. Good friend. <laughs> Best buddy. Good. The 20s in the mail. We always had, we'd always laugh working do whatever we were doing together. We'd have always laugh so hard our sides would hurt. Maybe that's why we went under. All right. <laughs> Tim, that is awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. We've been looking forward to this for a long oh, time. Thank you. Finally got to do it. It's great oh, having you guys. on. Thanks, guys. Tim gave us a lot of good insight there. <laughs> he was really plotting <laughs> my memory for things that I can't remember. But I think one part of the story that we need to wrap up with is how did I get out? Because I'm in this shop. It's barely getting by. Things are kind of on the down slope. I found a buyer. One of my customers, his brother and sister-in-law 
were looking for a business to invest in, a small business, and he came to me actually and said, hey, would you be interested in selling the shop to my brother and sister-in-law? And I was like, hey, here you go. <laughs> so <laughs> I was able to uh, sell the shop, uh, make a little bit of money. It was more about uh, getting out. I was able to take that money and pay the sales tax that I hadn't paid to the state of Ohio that it was still due. So it, it kind of had a happy ending. I lost my entire collection because I was selling my personal collection, my personal inventory. It was at the time 47, 48 long boxes worth of prime silver and bronze and, and at the time modern copper books i remember i had a stack of new mutants 98s i remember just like we talked about with tim magic the gathering cards first edition just boxes and boxes in the back stock room i want all that stuff back i wonder where it went <laughs> wow what a, that's oh, that's a fortune but you can't gotta look forward Look forward. Don't don't dwell on the past. <laughs> now wait a second, Richard. How can I look forward when it's time to go back to the past of 1995? Thanks to the 25 year rule. <laughs> I am a Segway master, aren't I? Yeah. I know. I just I just pitch him, and you just hit him out of the park. There it goes, Homer. So 1995, here's what's up. I sell my shop. I get the heck out of Dodge. Uh, DC and Marvel see the writing on the wall. Sales are horrible for both companies. Marvel decides they're going to distribute their own books, so they buy Heroes World. Good move there. And they get to collaborate on the crossover of a comic fan's dream, DC versus Marvel. So DC versus Marvel number one came out in 1995. It ended up being Diamond Distribution's best-selling comic of the year. And it was, like I said, a dream for fans because you, Superman versus Thor, Silver Surfer versus Green Lantern, Lobo versus Wolverine, Storm versus Wonder Woman, Aquaman versus Submariner. Who's going to win? The fans got to decide. They had voting at the comic shops on ballots, and you sent your ballot in, and then you got to see what happened. Do you remember any of this at all, Richard? Because after I sold the shop, I was burnt. I left. I was out. Yeah, no, I I, I don't remember this particular. They've, there's been a number over the years of crossovers between uh, Marvel and DC. I don't remember this particular set. I, the only thing I can remember is you and I have a mutual friend named Evan. And I remember Evan being so excited for this and showing me these comics. And I was like, you know what? I I can't look at a comic book right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, the, the, the image of 48 long boxes in your head. Yeah, I don't blame uh, you. <laughs> oh, uh, what, what was cool about this, though, is that there was the typical... Uh, Marvel DC crossover, it's a draw, you know, the, there's no clear winner. There were clear cut winners in these matchups, thanks to the fans. And boy, there was a lot of controversy, but it sold like hotcakes. Uh, and it led to spinoffs in the Amalgam universe, which is where. Oh, yeah. Both, yeah. Remember the both universes yeah. used and you had things like Dark Claw, which was Wolverine and I think Batman combined. Mm -hmm. Right. Spider Boy, which was Spider-Man and Superboy. So I thought this book would be a bigger deal now for collectors than it really is. It really isn't. I don't know if there's a lot of high-grade copies that 
are, are flooding the market. But a 9.8 for DC versus Marvel number one only goes for about $75 to 110 bucks. Wow. Do, do you know, are, do any of these crossovers really have value? I mean, they're, they're fan favorites, but are they investment favorites, if you know what I mean? I think Superman versus spider-man the, the the big granddaddy of them all that that's a good uh, that fetches a lot i think batman and hulk kind of does okay but yeah you know uh dark side and galactus the hunger batman and captain america by john byrne you, you kind of see them here and there but they didn't they don't really generate a lot of collectability aside excitement mm -hmm. no i wonder if it's you know it's it's a lack of focus i mean you you have you have uh kind of a dilution between the two different camps of DC fans and Marvel fans. And so you're not focusing, which is what normally drives value. People look towards a particular book to focus on a particular character uh, or a special event for that character. And these books are kind of diluted because like you said, they, they don't want to, they don't want to kill off either one of the characters. So it's kind of a, if it's not a draw, it's something close. So maybe, maybe that helps keep the book from having any serious value. Here's the thing. It, it's never, ever going to happen again. It was a much more innocent time. You know, these companies were owned by either a sole proprietor. Marvel, I think, had just gone public or was getting ready to go public. They're owned by major conglomerates and corporations now. You've got DC on their side with Time Warner. You've got... I don't know. I could see Time Warner sell, selling DC. Time Warner's unhappy with the returns from DC. If Disney comes up and buys them, I could see there being a change in that statement. Yeah, yeah a very good point. Uh, and I, I love how we're showing our age by still referring to them as Time Warner. It's actually just Warner Brothers and it was DC. Time Sorry. Sorry. Time, I said it first. Time, AOL. I know. Time Warner AOL. Uh, wow. Remember that? Holy moly. Hey, we're sitting here talking about 95, okay? You know, yeah, right. It's all old. Blur. We we've already talked about how horrible my memory is. But one thing I can remember the hit is our underrated books of the week. Ha segue. <laughs> Richard, you you've got a good one this week. I like your pick. A lot of times I spend thinking about if I was Kevin Feige and I was trying to map out not just phase four, but phase phase five, phase six. So I'm thinking 10 years in the future. And where where we had some some development of characters in the MCU, uh, where would I go? Well, we know for a fact that at some point we're going to see the Fantastic Four in the MCU. Uh, we know for a fact that we already have scrolls in the MCU. They appeared. Yeah. So um, my pick is Fantastic Four number eighteen, the first appearance of the Super Scroll. The Super Scroll is a really cool character who has his normal scroll powers of uh, transformation and, and, and mind control, as well as every power of the individuals of the Fantastic Four. So he's sort of like an, a, a combination of all the Fantastic Four characters, and he has constant battles over the decades with Fantastic Four, with Thor, with the Avengers. He's, he's a character that is, covers, like I said, decades worth of stories, but he's also a very complicated character. He he has a, a wife and a, a son and a daughter, and there's some there's uh, strife from his family, but also his interactions with the rest of the scrolls. He he gets 
uh, exiled at one point, mm-hmm. but then later on in the in the in the book, he becomes the emperor of the scrolls. So he's an important character in the scroll mythos, a secret empire, which is scrolls taking over individuals and basically running things. If 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 we see a storyline there, or if we see some other storyline for the scrolls, I could see Super Scroll being a villain that would come in. And again, have that depth that Kevin Feige seems to like. He likes characters that are complex and he likes putting them in situations that are complex and it makes for an interesting story. So right now, the Fantastic Four number 18, it's a a GPA, 6.0 is about $610, but that's a recent, that's that's only on one sale. The the 12 month uh, GPA is $493, so like $500. So off one sale, we see a 610. It's it's on nobody's radar right now. So I could see that price going down. I, I I don't I don't really see any pressure that's pushing this price higher. Uh, and to me, it's it's an un, it's a it's a Fantastic Four under 20. My goodness, uh, you can get some really good lower grades for a couple of hundred bucks. Uh, and you know you could start there and then work your way up. It's a long play. I don't want anybody to think I'm thinking this is something that's going to happen anytime soon. But if you're thinking, if you could find a copy for a reasonable amount of money, if we ever have conventions again, you could find, let's say, a 3.0 for $250, $300. Hold on to it. Forget, you know, put it away. Don't sell it. Hold on to it. And uh, you could have huge returns in five, six years uh, if if the storyline becomes something that Marvel develops. Yeah, I think during Secret Invasion, they Marvel showed how Secret scroll- Invasion. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> all good. Uh, um, Marvel showed how they could use the scroll- scrolls effectively. A lot of times, in especially the Bronze Age and some of the Copper Age, the scrolls were an easy out to fix continuity problems. Okay, well, it wasn't the thing. It was actually just a scroll for those 12 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they were really just kind of a cheat. And Secret Invasion showed how they could be used to be a really menacing threat to the Marvel Universe. And we've seen some teasers in Captain Marvel uh, in the MCU. Mm-hmm. So who knows? They're gonna have, like I said, it's a long play. They're gonna have to introduce the Fantastic Four first and get them established. And then you can see the Super Scroll really come in. Right. So that that's a great one. Yeah, um, and don't wait for the Fantastic Four to be in the universe. As yeah. soon as MCU, there is a there is an introduction of the Fantastic Four. All the Fantastic Four keys are going to go supernova. We're and, seeing number one, number four, and number five already moving. Yeah, absolutely. So think about this long term. Plan ahead. Again, skate to where the puck is going to be, because once these announcements happen, those prices are going to, just like we've got She-Hulk at $700 uh, on all these announcements, uh, (laughs) where the Fantastic Four books are going to go is even higher uh, in comparison. Anyone's guess, because no one's letting them go. And I would also add... If you have copies of these early Fantastic Fours that are not signed by Stan Lee, I bet you're going to get a premium in the future because some of those Stan Lee SIGs just look horrible. I would never uh, buy them. I know, uh, I'm, I know I'm in the minority, but I do not want a Stan Lee SIG on my key. I just don't. The only book I want a Stan Lee SIG on is Amazing Fantasy 15. Really? I, oh. I, yeah, sorry. I, I would... I would take his scroll on that book 
because that's kind of like the exclamation point to that book for me, at least. Anything that, else? I, I don't own a single Stanley signature book because I, I, it's not important to me. But on that book, I would take it for sure. What do you guys think? Stanley Sigs on keys, yay or nay? Tell us in the comments. Let us know on Instagram because you know how I feel. I'm just curious if I'm <laughs> a distinct minority here. But we'll move on to my underrated book of the week, which is uh, a typical uh, John pick. But it is 2001, A Space Odyssey number 8 by Stan's better half, in my opinion, Jack Kirby. It's also the first appearance of Mr. Machine, who later became Machine Man. Now, why is this underrated? It's the first appearance of Machine Man. It's uh, an ad adaptation of 2001, of Space Odyssey. <laughs> I'm sure this is what Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley <laughs> had in mind for their vision was Jack Kirby introducing a robotic superhero. But hey, what are you going to do? It's a very tough book to get a 9.8. Again, a, a, a series that was quarter box bin uh, material for years and years. So they're all banged up. This series is likely to never be reprinted because of various rights issues between Arthur C. Clarke, uh, the, the MGM studios, whoever owns them now. It's, it's just a twisted mess of rights. Mm -hmm. So that's why they renamed Mr. Machine Machine Man so Marvel could just own it outright. Um, I have owned the 35 cent variant of this, which exists. It's a very tough book to get. Uh, but the regular version, the 90-day average for a 9.8 is $610 for the very wow. first. Yeah, this is a pricey book now. The 35-cent uh, variant, even more so, the highest graded one that is sold is a 9.2 that sold in December of 2012, eight years ago, for $608. So that's almost as much as a 9.8 sold in the last 90 days. So if another 9.2 or above 35 cent variant of 2001 number eight came to market, I don't even know what it would go for. Um, yeah. Well, you know what, again, with, with GPA, it may have come to market. It's, it just may not been a source that they recognize and therefore it, it isn't been recorded, but still 12, you know, 2012, I can't even imagine, like you say, what that book is going to be worth uh, when it does hit the market again. We've seen Iron Fist 14, 35 cent variant selling for thousands. We've seen Star Wars number one, 35 cent variant, which is the granddaddy of those books. And just like lower level stuff, even like Kid Cult Outlaw 35 cent variants for hundreds and hundreds of, hundreds of dollars. Mm -hmm. So we can speculate all night, but I sure wish I had mine again. I sold mine in 2006 for a few hundred bucks, but it was hey. a 75. You know what? This is the first time we've had two picks that were Jack Kirby books. <sighs> You're right. We're amazing. Hey, hey. <laughs> I can't think of a better way to go out. Hey, if you uh, thanks for joining us. If you're not following us on Facebook and Instagram at Broads of Modern Gods, please do so. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, thanks. Leave us a comment. Tell us if you want a Stanley Sig or not. Subscribe. Give us a like. Share it with someone you love. And if you listen to us on your favorite podcast platform, you know, thank you for that as well. And leave us a review and a rate. And we will see you next time. See you, Richard. See ya. Stay safe, everybody.